0: It was unexpected, and it was unprovoked. Trouble came suddenly upon Judah. Like the clap of thunder that shatters the peacefulness of a clear sky, it was a sudden, frightening, and unforeseen thing. Life is just that way sometimes. It happens to churches. It happens to families. And happens to individual men and women just like it happened to Judah. Out of the blue, a series of problems arise. Out of the blue, some tremendous difficulty happens. Out of the blue, the institution that you have invested yourself in suddenly fails and threatens all of your future. Suddenly, everything that you had put your hopes in is dashed and your dreams are threatened. Without any forewarning, a friend that you relied upon becomes a foe that is working to destroy you. The brilliant morning becomes a cloudy afternoon and the horizon is darkened with the threat of a horrifying storm. The messenger came, running from afar, with the news of an impending defeat. The outcome was already decided before he ever got to where Jehoshaphat was. The enemy was more and was mightier. A huge army, he said, is on its way from beyond the Dead Sea. They've come from afar. They've gathered themselves together. They've allied themselves, and they've come to destroy you, and there's no time to waste. Uh, They're already on the march. Uh, You've got just a little time left to live. Jehoshaphat was shaken. The nation was stirred. It was the kind of news that sends a cold chill down your spine. But although the situation seemed hopeless, this was not a people without any hope. In their moment of crisis, they turned their hearts towards heaven. Led by their king, they came together from far and wide to the house of God. And there, they called fervently on the name of the Lord. That's always the best solution. That's always your best answer. You can't control your life. You can't choose when the storms are going to come, but you can control what happens next. You don't decide when the messenger is going to come crashing in and ruin your day with the news that the is imminent, that you've only got so long left to live, but you do decide what you're going to do next. And there were a lot of things they could have done. They could have gone running to their allies and tried to raise an army to meet their enemy. They could have gone to their bankers and raised the funds to hire mercenaries to fight on their behalf. They could have expended their efforts in fortifying their cities and bracing themselves for the attack that was coming. But they realized that their only real hope was in God. So they turned to him. They sought his face. And my Bible says that God heard their cry. And in the midst of the congregation, while they were still gathered together, while they were still in the very act of prayer, God sent an answer. A Levite, a man by the name of Jehaziel, was moved upon by God and delivered a word from God. God's message was simple. He said, don't be afraid. Don't worry about this evil horde that is marching against you. The battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Don't worry about what you've heard. Don't worry about what your eyes see. Don't worry about what you understand and comprehend. The battle is not yours. It belongs to me. So gird up yourself. Tomorrow, go out and meet your enemy. Step on to the battlefield. Go and march against your foe. But you're not going to have to lift a hand in this battle. God told them, he said, go to the battlefield. Stand against your enemy and see the salvation of your God. Emboldened by the word of God, Jehoshaphat rose early the next morning and assembled his army. But before they ever set out on the march, before they ever left the city to go to meet the enemy on the battlefield, the word of God tells us that Jehoshaphat appointed singers to march in front of the warriors. That must have been a sight to behold. There was an army in all of its battle dress pennants snapping in the breeze, commanders arrayed in their finery, troops marching in step. The highly polished armor was glistening in the sun, the leather and the chains creaked with every step, and that mighty army bristled with weapons of war. There were bows and stabs and spears and javelins and, and swords, and all were at the ready, and all were prepared to go to battle, but in front of the army, there was an even greater display levitical musicians priests arrayed in the sacred vestment of holy service unto god marched before the soldiers they carried no weapons they had no instruments of war but their mouths were filled with the praise of God Almighty. And when that army set out on that fateful day, from the very first step of the journey until they finally laid their eyes on their enemy, the hills and the valleys around them echoed with the sound of singing. As those priests praised the Lord, the Bible said in the beauty of holiness. Oh, they must have looked ridiculous. They must have been quite the spectacle. An army preceded by a choir. Soldiers arrayed in all of their battle gear being led by singers clothed in the vestments of worship. But the Bible tells me that as they sang and praised the Lord, God himself set ambushes against the enemy. Now the historians tell me that the men of Mount Sierra were late to join the battle, late to join the invading army, and in an effort to get into the fight, they prepared ambush positions along the way so that they could attack Judah as Judah marched to the battlefield. But God clouded their understanding. And God clouded their their sense of reasoning. And they mistakenly ambushed the wrong army. And all of a sudden, as the priests sang praises unto God, uh, and as an army marched uh, in the shadow of a choir that sang to the Almighty, uh, their enemy began to fight uh, against themselves. Bible tells us that when that army of Judah finally arrived at the battlefield, they topped the rise and looked down into the valley only to discover that the battle had already been fought that the enemy had already slaughtered itself, and that valley where they expected to meet a a foe of such magnitude that they could never hope to overcome uh, was filled and littered with the dead and the dying uh, of the enemy who thought that he would destroy the children of God. Judah won a mighty victory that day without ever raising a sword because the battle was won. In their worship. That story. Like no other. Illustrates the power. Of worship. When you can't do anything else. You can shout. When you can't do anything else. You can lift your voice. In worship. When you can't do anything else, uh, you can glorify God. Uh, when you can't do anything else, uh, you can sing uh, the praises uh, of him uh, who brought you out of darkness uh, and into his marvelous light. When there's nothing else that you can do, there's no other weapon in your heart. When you don't have anything else to rely upon, you've always got your praise. I want you to understand tonight there is power in Your worship. There's power in your worship. Now, Jehoshaphat's victory was won long after King David was dead. But David was no stranger to the power of worship. And he immortalized the connection between worship and victory in Psalm 18. But he had that psalm repeated again, it appears twice, In the word of God, he had it repeated again at the end of his life. In 2 Samuel 22 and 4, where David said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be delivered, or so shall I be saved from my enemies. David put it into song early in his life. But it was still in his heart, late in his life, at the very end of his life, that every time I've ever worshipped God, I've tasted the sweetness of his deliverance. Every time I have lifted my voice to him and began to extol his wonderful greatness, he has saved me from my enemies. At the end of his life, David wanted to make sure you read those closing chapters of his life and in second and Samuel where they are spelling out what he did and his accomplishments and all of that and you find chapter twenty two tucked into the, the very end of his life. He quotes again Psalm 18. He wants those uh, who come after him uh, to know uh, the Lord uh, has been my rock. Uh, The Lord uh, has been my fortress. Uh, I didn't get here by my own hand. Uh, I didn't cause all of this to happen. Israel wasn't built uh, on the strength of my sword. Uh, Israel was built uh, on the glory of my God. Uh, He has been my deliverer. He wanted those that were going to come and the generations that would follow him to know that hard times are going to come. Uh, trouble is going to take you by surprise. Uh, there's going to be a day when the messenger comes running to tell you the situation is hopeless. Uh, you might as well get ready. you just got a few days left to live. Uh, amen. There's going to be those days uh, when a sudden dark cloud uh, is going to hide the brilliance of the sun. Uh, but when that happens, uh, I want you to understand. Uh, let me tell you what I would do in my distress in my times of trouble I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall I be delivered so shall I be saved from my enemies there's so much in that word so I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised So shall I be saved from my enemies in the face of certain defeat. David said, I worship God and he delivered me. When I stared a bear in the eyes, I worshipped the name of God, uh, and he delivered me. Uh, When a lion threatened the flock, uh, and fear rose up in my heart, uh, I reminded myself uh, of the greatness of my God, who is worthy to be praised. Uh, And guess what happened? Uh, He showed up, uh, and he delivered me. When I stood in the shadow of a towering giant, And he looked at me, and he mocked me, and he laughed at me. I reminded myself uh, of the glory of my God, uh, who is worthy to be praised. Uh, Amen. I reminded myself uh, of the glory of the God uh, of the armies of Israel. And guess what happened? Uh, God showed up, uh, and he fought my battle for me. Over and over and over again. Throughout the long and storied history of David's life. In the face of defeat. In the presence of his enemies. He'll prove it over and over again. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I want you to understand something about worship tonight. Sometimes we approach worship as if it is something that God needs from us. Sometimes we approach worship as if God is some petulant king that will only bless us if we massage his ego. So we 're guilty sometimes preachers and worship leaders try to try to harangue us into worship and amen and tell us God needs our worship. Somehow, sometimes we get the idea that God's only going to work for us if we 'll tell him just how good he is and just how great he is and just how mighty He is. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't need your worship. Heavens echo With the worship of God The angels cry 24-7 Holy, holy, holy Is the Lord God Almighty Amen. All of creation declares uh, the majesty of God. Amen. Everything that He made uh, declares uh, His goodness uh, and His greatness. Uh, The angels in heaven, round about His throne, uh, glorify Him 24 7. They don't worship Him because He needs to be worshiped, Uh, they worship Him because He's worthy of worship. They don't worship him because it's something that he needs to to massage his ego. They worship him because they can't stand in the presence of his glory without magnifying his name. They worship him because they can't look at him without beginning to praise him. Creation itself. The sun, the stars, the planets, everything in the far reaches of the universe declares the glory of God. They don't worship Him because He needs it. Uh, They worship Him by their very existence. Uh, They worship Him because He created them. You've got to understand this about worship. Worship was never about what God needs. God doesn't command you to worship Him because He needs you to worship Him. The Scripture isn't replete with admonishment after admonishment to praise the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to bless His holy name because God needs your worship. God commanded you to worship Him because you need to worship Him. God commanded you to glorify His name because you need to worship Him. Let me explain it. Worship causes you to stop and consider the greatness of God. Worship causes you to put everything else on pause uh, for just a moment uh, and reflect uh, on the glory and the majesty of your God. Uh, There's something about worship uh, that sharpens your sensitivity to the glory of God. Uh, It causes you to begin to see just how majestic He is, just how great He is, just how mighty He is uh, when you begin to praise Him. If you don't worship Him, if 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 you don't magnify him if you stop praising him for his glory if you stop reminding yourself of his mighty deeds then you lose the perspective of how great your god really is and worship is really about perspective really about sharpening your soul's vision so that it can see the greatness of God when you worship him, when you magnify him when you say I I don't care what else is going on you know what the problem of tomorrow will be there tomorrow what I'm going to face when I get home is still going to be there when I get home Uh, the circumstance uh, that seems so devastating in my life uh, that's not going to change in the next few moments uh, but I'm going to shift my perspective uh, and I'm going to get a glimpse uh, of my God uh, and I'm just going to praise him for who he is uh, and I'm just going to magnify him for what He's done. And I'm just going to glorify Him, amen, for His great and mighty works. When you worship Him, you begin to shift the focus of your vision from your troubles and trials to the matchless ability of your God. When you begin to worship Him, when you begin to praise Him, when you begin to magnify his name your faith is loosed to see God as he really is that's what's at the heart of what David was saying as I call upon the Lord I am confronted with the fact that he is worthy to be praised and the more I praise him the more I recognize his worth uh, and the more I exalt him and the more I remind myself of his majesty and his greatness, uh, the more I realize just how worthy he is to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You see, early in his life, David discovered a powerful truth worship provokes faith worship instigates faith that's the power of worship that's the magnitude of what worship does worship stirs my heart Not just to see the greatness of God, but to believe in a God who is greater than I can see. Worship provokes my faith, amen, to begin to expand its view of God. Worship arouses faith in my heart as I begin to consider the majesty of God, I begin to realize uh, that his majesty has no end. When I think of his goodness, I begin to recognize uh, that his goodness knows no boundaries. Uh, When I contemplate uh, the mighty things uh, that he can do, I begin to realize uh, that there's nothing that he cannot do. When I begin to consider how far my God will go to preserve those uh, who call on his name, I begin to realize uh, that there is nothing that my God will not do for those uh, who call on him. There's something about worship uh, that invokes faith in my heart, uh, there's something about worship uh, that stirs up uh, that gift of faith within me. You see, worship isn't about making God feel good about who God is. Uh, Worship is about causing me uh, to expand my vision, uh, to open my understanding, uh, to consider how great my God really is. Worship stirs up my faith. Let me ground it in the Word of God. Paul, in diagnosing the human condition, Arrives at the conclusion that unbelief is in the most basic sense a failure to worship God. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 we have studied this a few Sunday mornings ago probably two months ago but we're, I'm going to visit it again real quick. It says because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. When they knew God, they refused to glorify Him as God. They didn't give Him the worship that He was worthy of. Now watch this. God didn't change. His glory wasn't diminished one bit. Their failure to worship Him didn't change him one little iota, his strength, his power, his majesty, none of that was diminished by their failure to worship him. Their worship wasn't for God's benefit. When they refused to worship God, God kept right on being God. But their failure to worship had a negative effect on them not on God when they didn't worship God Paul said they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened you got to get this worship has a positive impact on the way you think and the way you see worship has an impact on your mind and on your heart's eye. When they failed to worship God, it affected their minds. It affected the way they thought about their situation, and it caused their foolish hearts to be darkened. It affected the way they see things. That tells me that whenever you begin to worship God it has a positive impact uh, on the way you think uh, and the way your heart sees uh, Amen. some of you may feel like you're stumbling through the darkness you may feel like you don't have any clear direction in your life it may seem like everything is going wrong uh, you struggle struggled with an answer you've wrestled with a problem but it seems like you're wrestling in vain your imagination can't come up with an answer All of your thought and all of your worry and all of your frustration hasn't produced for you a good answer. Can I suggest to you that worship has the power to change all of that? When you begin to worship Him, and when you begin to magnify Him, and when you begin to lift Him up, it gets your mind into the presence of God. It gets your mind off of your own vain solutions, off of your own vain imagination and shifts your focus to the greatness of God. I want to tell somebody it's time to quit considering all the things that you can and cannot do. It's time to pause for a minute and consider what he can do. It's time to pause for a minute and think about what God has already done in your life. Because if you begin to praise him for what he's already done, amen, it'll stir up faith. Uh, it'll stir up something in your heart uh, that begins to believe, uh, amen, that he can do again what he's done before, amen, that he can do greater than he's ever done before, amen, that I hath not seen and ear hath not heard and has never entered the heart of man what God will do for those who love him, who serve him, who walk with him, who worship begin to worship him, faith grows, and you turn loose the power of God in your situation. As long as your mind is fixated on the limitations of your circumstance, as long as you are captivated by your abilities and inabilities, the situation is never going to change. But when you begin to worship him, when you begin to consider his abilities, when you begin to consider what he is capable of doing, when you just begin to reflect uh, on what he's already done in your life, uh, when your soul uh, begins to sing, uh, nothing is impossible with God. Faith is turned loose. And faith, Now, let me see if I can wrap it up. Faith is, according to the writer of Hebrews, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith has vision, and that vision is not limited to what we've seen with our natural eyes. Faith operates in the realm of hope. It operates in the realm of things that have not yet been seen not things that haven't been seen things that haven't yet been seen things that stand somewhere in the grand expectation of my faith that are going to come to pass somewhere along the way things I haven't seen yet but I can extend my faith to believe that God can do that's where faith operates Faith isn't bound by the natural limitations that bind us. Faith isn't defined by what the doctor says. Faith believes for a miracle. Faith isn't defined by possibility and impossibility. Faith just believes uh, that God can. Faith isn't hindered by our view of reality, by what we can see and touch and taste and comprehend in our mind. Faith believes in what it has not yet seen. Here's the key to faith. Faith sees what it looks for. Faith sees what it yearns for. And worships causes you to look for the glory of God. Worship causes you to transcend the reality that you're living in and look for the majesty that inhabits heaven. Worship causes you to push beyond the the black and white and what you can understand and what your senses are telling you and to reach for that which is beyond your comprehension, that which you could never even begin to think or imagine. Worship compels you to consider the greatness of God. Worship causes you to begin to... There are things we'll never understand the word means But it says nothing is impossible with God you see we define that in the realm of our carnal finite understanding but worship compels you where you live uh, into that universe uh, where God is uh, and your idea of what that means uh, begins to expand uh, and it begins to grow uh, as you begin to see God uh, as you begin to catch a glimpse of him as you begin to imagine his glory and his majesty all of a sudden uh, what he can do begins to grow in your mind and your heart and all of a sudden as we worship In the splendor of his glory, faith sees what it is looking for. And our soul leaps with expectation that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That God can move in the middle of our impossible Situation that he can open the door that no man can open. That he can make a way where there seemed to be no way. Worship enables us to encounter the presence and the power of God. I got a simple message for you tonight. If you need a miracle, worship Him. If you need deliverance worship him if you're walking through a valley worship him If you find yourself facing an enemy that is greater than you are, can I suggest uh, that you might to worship him uh, because worship uh, will change the landscape uh, of your life. Uh, Worship will cause uh, such a transformation in your heart uh, that it will be as if you stepped uh, from a dark room uh, into the brightness of the noonday sun uh, when you behold the glory and the majesty of God, when you worship him let your heart imagine what god can do for you worship let your heart clearly see that he is far and away greater than anything that we could ever think or imagine that he that is for us is greater than he that is against us Let me tell you, worshiplessness. When you learn to live a life without praise, when you learn to live a life without worship, when you get caught up in the mundane day-to-day living, amen, and you begin to push praise and worship into some corner of your life, amen, where you only pour it out for a few minutes on Sunday morning and a few minutes on Wednesday night, you begin to let your circumstances define your reality, and you begin to let the world around you define for you what your God can and cannot not do uh, but worship has a way of blowing all that wide open Uh, worship has a way of pushing you into the majesty and the glory of God and when you begin to praise him uh, and you begin to worship him and you begin to magnify him all of a sudden uh, at the midnight hour uh, the jail begins to shake uh, the doors swing open Uh, what was impossible with man uh, becomes possible with God uh, when you worship Try to close this thing. Job had one of those days like Jehoshaphat. It came out of the blue, it was completely unexpected. The messengers began to bring their tidings of terror, one right on the heels of the other. First word arrived that the oxen and the donkeys have been stolen, and all the servants who were watching over them have been murdered. While he was still talking, the next messenger came and reported, Lightning has fallen from heaven and killed all of Job's sheep and all of his shepherds and while he was still talking another messenger came running uh, and said the Chaldeans have raided the camels and they they killed your camel drivers and everybody's dead Uh, and while he was still telling, uh, amen, another messenger come running up uh, and said your children were having a party at the home of your oldest boy Uh, and when a tornado uh, comes sweeping in off the desert uh, it destroyed the home and every in it and they all died and in the wake of such tragic news as he learned that everything in his life was ruined as he heard that all of his wealth and all of his worldly possessions were gone and, and worse than that his children his precious children were dead the Bible says that Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. His first response stood to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head. That shows mourning, and worshipped. There's a man who recognized the power of worship, reeling from the tragic news, shaken to his core, troubled in his spirit, as he seeks to come to terms with the terrible situation that has come upon him. Some godly intuition inside of him imparts an understanding to his heart. If I'm going to make it through this, if I'm going to survive this, if I'm going to keep my faith intact, I need to expand my vision of God. If I'm going to get through this, if I'm going to overcome this, if I'm going to survive this, I need to get a glimpse of of the glory and the majesty of God. Uh, I see how bad the circumstance is. Uh, I see how bad the situation is. Uh, I've heard the terrible news. Uh, Amen. And I need to take a moment. Uh, I need a praise break, if you will. Uh, I need to get on my face uh, in the presence of God. Uh, And I need to run to the one uh, who is my rock uh, and my refuge, uh, my strong tower. Uh, I need to go to him. uh, And I need to remind myself uh, of how great he is I need to remind myself because my wife is going to come along and she's going to say Job why don't you curse him and die and I need something inside of me that's going to rise up and say you speak like a foolish child my God he never done me nothing but good That kind of declaration of faith uh, comes from an attitude of worship. Uh, It comes from a man who said in the middle of it all, I'm going to praise him. Uh, I don't understand it yet, but I'm going to praise him. Uh, I can't comprehend it yet, but I'm going to worship him. I don't know where my deliverance is coming from, but I know where my help comes from. All too often. In times of trouble and despair, we turn somewhere else. The hounds of hell come screeching in our life, baying about destruction, terror, and tragedy. And we turn everywhere else but to worship. We walk into the house of God dejected and pathetic. We come into the presence of God defeated in our spirit because we just don't realize the power of our worship. (laughs) I feel something wants to break in this place tonight. I feel something in the Holy Ghost pressing in on this service right now. I want to ask you to stand with me.